to Simple Guide to Prayer. We're in a three-week study, uh, so if you weren't here last week, you weren't able to be here for whatever reason, that is, the sermons are always on fbcdan.com. You can go there and, and catch up because some things will be assumed that you know in this message, so if you didn't hear that, um, go back and listen to it, and it's always there. Uh, so second week, we're looking at talking to Jesus, a simple guide to prayer, three main things that we're looking at that we need to be sincere, submitted, and synchronized in our prayers uh, to, to God the Father. Um, so as we're getting into that, and you're finding your place in Matthew 6, we'll be there pretty soon. Max Lucado, Max Lucado said this about prayers, our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. And that may be the tension sometimes for us when it comes to prayer. Sometimes we feel, I would say most of the time we feel, inferior in an ability to do anything when it comes to prayers. Sometimes we, we feel paralyzed by knowing what to say or how to say it. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? I think that every believer has felt that way at some point in time. Sometimes maybe more than others, depending on where you are and what you're going through. Sometimes it just feels like, like you're just not doing it right and you're just not doing it well. I think Satan does everything he can to, to discourage us in our prayer life because he knows how effective and how powerful they are. And the key to our prayer life, and I think that I, that I hope we get out today, is that it's not us that matters in our prayer life as far as how we do it. It's who we're praying to. It's who we are praying to. And if you, if you, if you were here this morning and, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you're out there listening and you're just like, you stumbled upon this, you're not sure what's going on, or you're just vaguely interested, understand this. Christians talk about prayer all the time, but it is an intimidating subject to us as well. So if you hear that we pray for each other and we desire to pray for each other and we and pray for me and pray for me and pray for that and pray for this, understand that we feel attention in that as well. Uh, and, and so if you're not, not sure about that and how that works, well, that's why we're talking about it because we struggle with the exact same thing. And so we're looking right back where we were last week. Uh, Jesus' most famous sermon that he preached uh, the Sermon on the Mount, about three chapters there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he, he gives this long sermon that, that many feel like he probably said that sermon or those truths in that sermon over and over and over as they went around the cities of Galilee and through Jeru Jerusalem and the, and the three, a little bit three-plus years that Jesus uh, had his ministry going. So it's a great, it's a great section of scripture to, to study and learn from and, and all those types of things. We're just pulling out a very quick little part of that in a bigger section where Jesus is talking about authentic worship, how to worship God authentically. And one of the thing he, things he hits on is prayer right in the middle uh, of chapter 6. So if you're there, read along with me. If you don't have a copy of the Word, it is on the screen. Uh, and if you would like one, see me after and we will give you a copy of God's Word. Be happy to. Verse 5, starting in chapter 6. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And pray, excuse me, and when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. 
since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, you, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Something that we have, just about everyone has heard, uh, that prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, which is a terrible name for that. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer. It wasn't Jesus' prayer, it was Jesus telling us how to pray. And he gives us this, this guideline, these, these things to say, uh, these things to consider how to pray to God and how not to. And we talked last week about being sincere and not being a hypocrite. Again, that's kind of the first part he's talking about there. And the things we're looking at are how to be sincere in our prayer. I understand that it's not be sincere and then be submitted and then be synchronized. These things all go together. So as we are submitting, as we are praying in submission, we are praying in submission through sincerity. These things don't, they're not one and separate from the other. We just... You don't want to be here listening to me preach for three hours. So it's three different sermons, but it's all the same truth. It all goes together. So we're looking today past where we, right where we passed last week. And we're looking where there. He finishes with, with, how to, with being sincere. And then he says in verse 9, Therefore, don't be like the fakes. Don't be like the fakes or the ignorant. The fakes are the religious hypocrites, and the Gentiles are the ignorant. They, they do not know of God at this point in time. Don't be like them. Therefore, you should pray like this. But highlighted there is, therefore, you should pray. Catch that truth first. Before we worry about how to pray, we just need to know that we need to pray. God has called us. God has commanded us. God really desires for us to pray. So don't don't miss that. Don't be so worried about how you do it that you just forget to do it. Don't be so worried about messing it up that that Satan convinces you that you don't need to do it because you're not going to do it right. The first thing is not pray right. It's just pray. Pray, pray, and pray some more. The first thing is that we should pray. And then he says you should pray like this. Now, I'm not opposed to this prayer being repeated. I'm not opposed to anyone praying sincerely from their heart to, to our Father in heaven. But this is probably one of the most misused, stale, religious verses in the entire scripture that we have taken and just abused throughout the years. Because we pray that as if Jesus said, pray this prayer and something magical is going to happen. Pray this prayer and, and things will go your way. Pray this prayer and you'll win the ball game. Pray this prayer and you won't get hurt in the ball game. Pray this prayer and things will just be magical And because this is Jesus' prayer. So if I re- repeat Jesus' prayer, then I'm doing something special. He didn't say pray this prayer. He said pray like this. Pray like this. Now, you can repeat those words. I think praying Scripture back to God is a very effective way to pray. If you're struggling with what to say, sometimes just opening up His Word. Go to the Psalms. And just read a psalm as prayer to God. Read 
How the ancients, David and the others, how they just poured their heart out, bared open their soul to God in the Psalms. And you'll get a conversation started. Something will be prompted by the Holy Spirit. But he says, pray like this. Pray like this. How? Well, pray sincerely for one. But today we're looking at praying submitted. He says, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. That's how the NIV translates the Greek. Your name be honored as holy. Many of yours may say, hallowed be thy name. Right? Hallowed be thy name. It's saying the exact same thing. To hallow someone's name is to honor their name, to make their name holy. So the first thing he says here is to hallow God's name. Now, check this out. It's really not a statement. In the Greek, it's not, it's not declarative like we say it. Like, you're, like, it's not like you're saying something about God. Your name is holy or your name is hallowed. It's, it's really more of a request. It's really the way the original intent of the language is saying. It's our Father in heaven. You honor your name as holy. Do what it takes to make your name hallowed. Do what it takes to make your name honored. Implying, help me do what it takes to make your name holy. Help me do what it takes to make your name honored. Hallowed is a request. It's not really a statement. He goes on there and he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Raise your hand if you've ever prayed this prayer. I've prayed it numerous times. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What words are not in those two verses? My. Now, most of the time, throughout my prayer life, a lot of my prayers have been about what I want, been more about my kingdom and my will. But Jesus says, don't pray that way. Don't pray about those things. He says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your, your, not my, my. Why is that? Why is it better to trust God in the decision-making process of creation and of your life and of all of our lives together? It's very simple. We see life, the entirety of life, all of creation, beginning of time to the end, all the things. We see all of that through a very, very, very pointed, tiny, tiny microscope lens of what actually is taking place. What you think you want and what you think you need what you think should happen, what you think needs to happen, you're seeing it through a tiny, 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 I don't have the right word to describe how small it is that we are seeing whatever it is that's taking place. God, on the other hand, his perspective, he's outside of space and time. That's how big God is. He is eternal. He is everlasting. We see this tiny little smidgen, microscopic little view of how things should go. And God has stepped out, stepped back, and he is outside of all time. He existed before the beginning. He will exist forever. He sees all things, all decisions, all people, all things that need to take place. So his name can be hallowed. So his name can be honored. So his name can be glorified. Why, why should we submit to God Submit to his will because, frankly, it's better. It's just better. It's better 
It doesn't feel like it sometimes. Sometimes it feels worse. Sometimes it's like, God, I don't really like it. It was one of the best, most truthful things I've ever heard come out of a Christian's mouth was back in March whenever Kennedy Wright said, God, I know I'm supposed to trust you, but right now I don't like it. I've said that a hundred times in prayer since then. It's true. Sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes we don't understand it. It's difficult to understand a God that can exist outside of space and time and, and trust that the things you're going through somehow matter and, and they're all tied together and they're all going someplace. It's hard to do that where we have emotions, we have sin. It hurts to be hurt. But God is so much better at this than we are. So we have to submit. First, we have to submit to pray. That's the first thing. Submit to pray. Give over to God in prayer. And we have to submit to God's will. We have to submit to God's will, what He wants. It's kind of like this. Prayer is not about informing God. It's about Him transforming you. You don't pray to God to inform Him of what He needs to know and what He needs to do. You pray to God, your wants, your desires. It's a conversation with a loving, perfect Father. It's a conversation. Tell Him all the things that are going on. Tell him all the things you want. Tell him all the things you need. He knows anyway. You might as well be real with him. But you're not doing it so God knows what to do. Newsflash, Christian. God doesn't need to know what to do. He needs you to know what to do. He needs me to know what to do. He needs us as a church to know what to do. And in order to do what we're supposed to do, we have to be who we're supposed to be. We have to be transformed and do his Christ likeness. It's not about informing God of all our wishes and wants, although you should share those things with him. It's about doing that and then allowing his Holy Spirit through his word, through his saints, through the gathering of the church, through prayer, through time alone, through the Holy Spirit that indwells within you. It's about him transforming us through all of those things into something different that wouldn't otherwise exist without him. So what are we saying? That's what we're saying. But where are we going? Now, let's look at a little example of Jesus praying. We looked at an example last week in John 17. Raise your, I'm just kidding, I won't do that to you. Did you read John 17 last week? Did you read it at least once? I hope so. If you didn't, shame on you. I'm kidding. <laughs> Good thing is you got another chance. I would read it. It's just, it's an entire chapter of nothing but Jesus praying. Pretty, pretty good chapter to read. It's pretty awesome to just see his heart and his desire for his people and to glorify, how to glorify God. But we're going to look at a different place today. It, isn't, it, isn't it cool? Isn't it cool that the God of the universe <laughs> was so smart that he made a way for his literal prayers to be documented and passed down for thousands of years so that you and I could have an example of how God would pray? If God were on this earth, because God did pray, because God was on this earth, <laughs> man, we should spend some time in this dude. Like, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty valuable thing to spend some time in that thing. It's pretty cool that Jesus did that for us. It's amazing. So, we're going to skip way down in Matthew. Matthew 26, if you want to get there in your word, it'll be on the screen if you don't. 
Matthew chapter 26. Now, where are we as we look at this prayer so that you understand the gravity of the situation in which Jesus is praying? We are in Matthew 26. So the timeline of events in Jesus' life, he has very quickly basically just had the, the Lord's Supper, the, the first Lord's Supper, the new covenant. This is my body. This is my blood. You know, that whole thing. And then they are going out to pray, Jesus knowing that as they're going to do this, his time has come. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be humiliated. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be crucified. He's about to experience the wrath of God. That's where Jesus is in his life. So these prayers, I would say, are some pretty good prayers. These are pretty important prayers. If you're wondering, like, if you're in a difficult spot in your life right now, how should I pray? Jesus is in the most difficult spot a human being has ever existed in. And we're about to look at how he prayed during that. If, if you could hear what Jesus would say in a very, very tough moment, like if he was in the other room talking, wouldn't you like creep up to the door and put your ear on the door to hear what Jesus was saying to God in a moment like that? The cool thing is you don't have to. You just turn to Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them, them being the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now understand, Judas is gone, doing Judas-like stuff. So he's telling eight guys to go over there and sit. I'm fixing to go pray. So eight of them go over there and sit. Sit here a while while I go over there and pray. 37, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Continuing, he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. That would be the three that he took with him a little further. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if this is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he came back to you and me. Well, I mean the disciples. But this would have been you and me. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Whew. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray. Why? So that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 32, 42, again, a second time, a second time, the God of the universe went back to pray. God the Son, praying to God the Father. He went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping, because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Whew. That's heavy. And when you really stop and think about what Jesus is going through, that is a heavy, heavy time. So he takes the guys with him. They've just had the, he's just said, Judaism, as you know it, is over. It's now about me. I have replaced Moses. I have replaced the Passover. I have replaced all that. It's a new 
covenant. Covenant of my blood, my body. He's just done that, and then they leave. Now, think about this. Quick sidebar. He knows that when they leave there that Judas is going to do Judas stuff. And he goes right out to a place where they always go. Right where they could come find him. You want to talk about submission. Knowing what he's going through. All he had to do was go anywhere else. That's all he had to do. Just walk out of the upper room. Garden of Gethsemane. At the Mount of Olives. Nah, I'm going to go this way. (laughs) That's what you would have done. And that's darn sure what I would have done. That's not what he did. He went right there and prayed. Amazing God. But notice that he takes the eight guys. He says, all right, you eight, you sit here. And the three that he's most closest with, he says, y'all come with me. And we're going a little further into the garden so we can be alone and pray. Think about that. (laughs) The God of the universe, the God man, God the Son, Jesus Christ, in his most difficult hour, wants companionship. He just wants some buds around him to help him out. He just needs a buddy. And he knows that they need to be with him praying. They need to hear his prayers. They need to be praying too. He knows what's coming. I mean, Peter has just said, Lord, I ain't turning my back on you. I'm not going to do that. I would never do that. I would die for you. And Jesus is like, bro, you, you ain't even going to make it till tomorrow before you deny me. Three times, once to a teenage girl. So he tugs him with him. He says, hey, pray so you don't fall. He knows this is coming. He knows how much pain it's going to cause Peter, how much it's going to hurt him to disappoint Jesus so greatly. So he knows that they need to be there praying, but he also just wants them there with him. He wants companionship. So, anyway. He says there first... uh, what he's praying about there, he says, God, if this cup can pass, if, if, there's, if there's any other way, God, I'm, I'm not saying I won't do it. What I'm saying is there any possible way it doesn't have to be this way, that this cup can pass for me. Now, what does the cup represent? As it's as it represented all out throughout Scripture, the cup being poured out is God's wrath. Jesus knows he is about to experience God's wrath. He's also fixing to experience all the worst parts of being human. All the worst parts of being human in a sinful world. All the pain, all the shame, all the disappointment, all the cuts and criticisms. I mean, they hang him up on a cross. Just think of the people that are, hey, I mean, Scripture says this. Hey, (laughs) son of God, huh? Get off of there. Save yourself, tough guy. The physical pain, the emotional pain. All of it. He knows he's fixing to go through the worst parts of being human, but he's also fixing to experience an eternal God who has been rejected by the crown of his creation over and over and over again. And the righteous judgment, which is what God's wrath is, the righteous judgment that should be poured on all of that creation that has, dis- that has totally denied him for years and years and centuries and centuries and millennia and millennia, all of that, and then all of that was to come of sin, your sin and my sin, all of that, the righteous judgment that a righteous God should pour out on the people that just won't listen to him, 
They won't love him. They won't trust him. That righteous judgment is fixing to be fully and completely poured out on Jesus. And Jesus is saying, Father, I'll do it. But can, is there any other way? Does it have to be this way? Can I? Well, this is what I would say. This is, if, I were, if I would have been writing Matthew, I would have put in there, can I punch Judas in the face instead? That's what I would have. I would have punched Judas in the face. What a weasel. He's fixing to experience God's wrath, but he's not saying that he won't submit to God's will. He's just exploring the limits of, those, of, that, of his will. Where, where is it? Can we? I know we're going here, and I have to do what you're telling me to do, but what you want me to do, can it be here instead? Can it be a little less painful, a little less shameful, a little less, you know, like can you keep a little bit of wrath, pour it out on somebody else later? Do I have to have all of it now? It's, it's not, I'm not going to do your will, God. It's just, can it be different? Luke tells it this way, the same thing. He gives us a few more details. Isn't that cool, too? <laughs> different perspectives, different details. The exact same situation, Luke says that as he's praying, that he is strengthened by angels while he is praying. And he becomes deeply anguished, and he prays more fervently, and he prays so hard that his sweat is like drops of blood. And I've, and I've heard, I've read that, and I've thought about that for years. And I thought, wow, what a cool metaphorical way to say how hard Jesus is struggling. Have you ever prayed anywhere near that hard? Have you ever done anything physical anywhere near that hard? I bet some of you have. Have you ever, like, have you ever had, like, the, the pukes? And you puke so hard that, that, like, those red dots show up on your face? Like you busted some blood vessels in your face? Have you ever cried that hard? Now, I've never done anything where, where sweat drops of blood came out of me, but I've cried so hard that I busted blood vessels in my face, those little red dots, that my eyes were, were red, not from tears, from strain. Have you, ever, have you ever been there? I mean, the body does strange things when it's under distress, when it's under, when it's under great anguish and sorrow. And I thought, man, that's, that's very descriptive. And then something happened that I will never, ever forget. So when I coached football, after the first year, we were sitting around, and, and after the, 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 the season's over, you're, you're talking about, like, what was good, what was bad, what do we need to do to get better? That's how a coach's mind works. What was good, what was bad, what do we need to get better? It's always what can we do to get better, what can we do to get better? And in college, we had a thing called Hell Week, which is exactly what it sounds like. And we were talking about it, and that first year, we just, as a whole, we just weren't very tough. We just weren't very mentally tough, and it cost us. And we said, we, we just got to get tougher. Just all there is to it. We have got to get physically and mentally tougher if we want to go where we're trying to go. I said, well, I know something that will make you tougher. What is it? Well, you have to do a whole lot of hard stuff. It's really awful, and um, people aren't going to like it. And, uh, and, and it's called Hell Week. Solid week. Nothing but hell. You make it through that, 
You'll be tougher. So we came up with as many sadistic things and torturous things that we could to make these kids tougher. And one of the things that we did, it's not really sick or anything, it's just hard. It's called a burnout workout. Some of you may have done it, where it, you put weight on, like if you're doing squat or bench press or something like that, you put weight on, and as you do a few reps, you do reps till you can't do anymore, and then they take a little weight off, and then you gotta keep going. And then you do reps till you can't do anymore, and they take a little weight off, and, you, and basically you just go till literally it feels like you can't even pick your own body up, okay? Now, you're supposed to go until you can't go anymore. Literally, till you cannot go anymore. But nobody does that. Nobody. There's this thing inside of us that says, okay, stop. That's far enough. But Eddie Ventura didn't have that thing. Whatever that is in your brain, he didn't have it. And I will never forget this. He was under the squat bar, and he squatted, and he squatted, and he squatted, and he squatted, and four long people are gathering around. And they take some weight off, and he keeps going, and they take some weight off, and more people are coming, and they take some weight off, and he keeps going, and he keeps going. And before long, the entire team is around Eddie, and he's still squatting, and he's still going, and he's still going. And at this point, I'm going, I'm getting nervous, flat out. And finally, he goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes until he just drops. Hits the ground, the rat catches the bar, the team goes crazy. I mean crazy. I was going crazy. And Eddie turns around, and if I'm lying, I'm not lying. I'm not going to qualify it. I'm just not lying. I'm not lying. Eddie turns around, and he's got blood on his forehead. And I thought when he fell that he hit his forehead. But he didn't hit his forehead. I was like, Eddie, you're bleeding. He goes, oh, yeah. And it was just in his sweat, literally. Because he started sweating again, and blood started coming out a little bit more again. And I was like, Garden of Gethsemane! <laughs> now you think about the, the, the physical strain that Eddie went through for that to happen, right? And I also told, I was like, don't ever do that again. Like if we say go to failure, like you stop before you actually fail or I don't want you to see you die. It scared me. But I'll never forget that. I was like, huh, it's literal. It's literal. It it's actually has a medical term. It's called hematidosis. You can literally sweat blood by having so much either physical stress or emotional stress, so much sorrow. You're straining so much. That's where Jesus is in all this. Why? Because he's fixing to experience God's wrath. And we don't talk about it very much because it doesn't make us feel all tickly and fun on the inside. But have you ever thought about, have you ever looked at God's wrath? Have you ever thought about God's wrath? I mean, just go read Revelation 6 through 19. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls gives a language description of the wrath of God that's going to be poured out after we're out of here, followers of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we will be spared from that. Terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Scripture says. And Jesus is about to do that for no reason other than so you and I can be saved. That's it. Didn't deserve it. You deserve it. Shouldn't have happened. It should happen to you. It should happen to me. I deserve it. I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. I deserve the wrath of God. Jesus didn't. But he took it for me. 
I'll follow that dude. I'll give my life to that God. I'll follow that guy. And he's praying, Lord, any other way. And then the second and third time, don't catch this. He says the same thing the third time he says the second time. The second time he's already resided himself to the fact that there's not another way. Catch the language in there. All right. If I do have to drink it, well, then your will be done. Goes back to the third time. If I do have to drink it, your will be done. Third, three times he prays. Three times Peter doesn't pray. Three times Peter denies him. Three times the Lord comes back after his resurrection and confirms his grace over Peter as the leader of what was about to take place once Jesus went back to heaven. What a God. D.L. Moody said it like this. Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can anyway. He can do more with it than you can. Just let him have your life. Let God have your life. We pray in submission so that God's will can be done here on earth, not so that our will can be done up in heaven. We're not informing God. He's transforming us. So what do we do? Some of you like tangible handles to hang on to. What do we do? First, first thing is we've got to submit to pray. We've got to submit to spend time and energy in prayer. Jesus put energy into it. He prayed so hard, he bled out of his sweat pores. So the, the, the flippant prayers and, and the, and the half-hearted stuff, let's just get a little more serious about it than we are most of the time. Jesus took it pretty seriously. We probably should too. Let's submit and commit to spend time and energy in prayer for each other to the God of the universe. Second thing, give your wants to God in prayer and trust Him to provide what's best, whether it's your wants or not, and to transform you into the new being that you should be. And the last thing is, understand this. It's all about God's glorification. All of it. All of it. And that's the best thing that you and I can do. The best thing that we can do with our life is to live and do and treat each other in a way that it glorifies God. And the way that I know that is because he told us that. He tells us that over and over and over in his word. Just trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Have faith in me that my way is best. I promise you it is, God says. My way is best. And that by doing it my way, my name gets proclaimed. And that was the whole point in this creation in the first place. And why should we do that? I think God would say, because I'm worth it. I'm that good. I'm really that good. I'm, I'm really that worth your worship. I'm worth it. So if you're here this morning, you, <laughs> you ain't ever experienced that God, then experience him. Get to know him. Give your life to him. We say it all different ways. Get saved. Submit your life to him. Give over your life and give it to him. Place your faith in him. Place your faith in the God that took on his own wrath. God the Father poured out his wrath on God the Son so that you wouldn't have to, have to feel it. Place your faith in that. What is faith? Is it just something I think? No, it's not a think. It's a heart thing. It's trust. It's hope in action. It's trust. 
Give your life to Jesus if you never have. Why in the world would anyone not give their life to Jesus Christ, the forgiver of sins and the giver of eternal life? It's the best possible way you can live. Because life's going to be hard either way. It might as well be hard for an eternal purpose and a God that loves you. I'll pray for us. And if you want to make that declaration to this church today, we'll be fired up. If you need to pray during this time, please come down and pray. God, thank you for your love and thank you for your example. Thank you that you documented what we need to do to be able to know you and to experience you and to have you for eternity. Thank you for that, God. Lord, I just pray this morning that we will be a people that desires to do your will, to be sincere in our prayers not fake and phony with a bunch of words and a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, that we would be real enough to just share with you what we really want, but have the faith to trust you, that you will provide whatever it is we actually need. Lord, I just pray for this church as we continue to heal, that you would continue to heal us, and we would continue to allow you to heal us. And the 50% of people in Yale County, that's half, that don't know who Jesus is, came to know Jesus, what would happen?